Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Daniel Day, your host. And right now I am joined again with Dr. Linda Seiler. Dr. Seiler, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Yes. Thanks for allowing me to have this time with you to have a follow-up interview uh, to our first conversation that we had last year. So I will wish you Happy New Year. Hope you had a great holiday. Thank you. Likewise. And uh, I'd like for you to open us up with a quick word of prayer, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Uh, a, a brand new year reminds us of the brand new start that we get in you. And I'm thankful for that. Thanks for new life. Thanks for the gospel. Thanks for transformation and just the, the glory of who you are and the, the hope of, of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that this conversation would honor you, that it would encourage those that are watching and those that are struggling or have questions. We just pray it would just build their faith in you and the, the power of your gospel to transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For those of you just joining us, we are with Dr. Linda Seiler. She is a Chi Alpha missionary and uh, currently working to train up leaders and directors all over the nation. And last year, we had part one of this interview, which the link will be in the show notes below. So if you missed part one, please go back and watch part one because it really lays the foundation for this conversation that we're having on ministering to the LGBT community in our nation. Uh, in part one, Linda, you really shared um, an overview of your story and it was quite powerful and we just really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. It was an honor. Um, I, needless to say, your story uh, got a lot of uh, views and um, produced a lot of buzz, good good feedback, and a lot of questions. And mm. at the end of your first interview, uh, I even said, we have to do a second one because my mind was going all kinds of places as you spoke. I had so many questions I wanted to ask, and um, I've boiled it down to four uh, kind of main questions that I think a lot of people were asking at the end of your testimony. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today is just some follow-up questions to our first conversation. So if you've missed part one, pause this, go back and listen, and now come back and uh, listen to the follow-up interview. But today, continuing the conversation about ministering to the LGBT community. Dr. Seiler, you mentioned that you had struggled for 20 plus years uh, or so with sexual addiction, uh, and you had kept that a secret for all that time that no one knew of the inner turmoil that you were in. I would like for you to just help us to understand a little more about how you found freedom. I, I mean, it's just mind blowing to me that someone, anyone who's had addictions for any number of years, much less. 20 years. That truly is a testament to the glory of God. So would you please tell us a little more about how, how it was that you found freedom in, in those mm -hmm. addictions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, in the beginning of my journey, I was really fixated on the sexual sin and just, oh, there's so much shame. There's so much condemnation. You know it's wrong. You tried to justify it, but that's why I didn't tell anybody because I was so ashamed. And after I got saved, for sure, I wasn't going to tell anybody, you know. Um, 
and until I finally realized I wasn't going to get free from these transgender issues and same-sex attractions unless I took what was in the dark and brought it into the light. And so the first step for me was being honest about the full orb of everything I was struggling with um, behind closed doors and um, sharing that with trusted leaders, pastors, mentors, uh, people that were discipling me and just being really raw and really honest. Unless you take what's in the dark and bring it into the light, you cannot get free. And that was James 5.16 was, was crucial in, in my story. Uh, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other so that you can be healed. Um, but I, I didn't, that helped me, you know, have some boundaries and some accountability. And I did see things diminish a little bit over time, but I was still struggling and uh, just still addicted and in bondage. And I, I'd have seasons of freedom, you know, I'd go six months and be like, oh, this is awesome. And then fall again. And um, I, what God began to show me over time was that fixating on the, the sexual sin and that, that issue and the condemnation, all that um, was, was really the wrong focus. And to realize that that was just a symptom of a deeper issue going on in my heart for me. Really, when you talk about same-sex attractions and transgender desires, the real battle, it, it appears to be a sexual issue, but at its root, it's not. Mm -hmm. For me, it was an emotional relational issue. Mm -hmm. And so there were deficits in my heart of emotional development and maturity and, and relationally that did not go as God designed. Um, even though I grew up in an intact family, great parents who loved me dearly, but I rejected my mom at a very young age mm -hmm. and wanted to be just like my dad and become a man and all of that. And it, it, despite my mom's best intentions to mother me, I just um, rejected her and said, I want nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your world. I want nothing. I don't want to be a woman even in this wow. body. And that left me with a deficit in my heart for mother love because I, I blocked my mom out. And so I, I didn't receive that motherly nurture that God designed me to receive. And so for me, it didn't start as a sexual issue. It started as this hunger in junior high, uh, late grade school, junior high. I just want an older woman, a motherly figure to hold me, mm. to nurture me, to pay attention to me. And so there were certain teachers at school in junior high that was like, oh, I want, I want her attention. And I just, I wish she would hug me. And then I developed this elaborate fantasy world where I would imagine myself drowning in a river and such and such teacher would come and rescue me out of the river. It wasn't sexual at all. Mm -hmm. It was just this elaborate fantasy world of like, I didn't know at the time, I know now looking back, analyzing it, that my heart was hungering for mother love. And there was something I saw in these women, a wholeness in their femininity that I was longing for because God designed me to bond with a woman, supposed to be my mother, to, to draw me into the world of woman. And I, I just didn't have that. And so as I grew and matured, then that emotional deficit got mixed up with my natural sexual desires and it, it became confused and integrated with that. And so what really was just an infantile kind of childlike desire for motherly love became sexualized and aimed at other women. And so I thought, oh, it's a sexual issue. It's a problem. I need to stop it and cut that out. And of course, you know, don't act on it and don't encourage those addictions. But if you just do stop it therapy, you know, just stop it. Just don't do it. Right. It doesn't work. I tried it. You right. know, it doesn't work. And so for me, the freedom came when we began addressing the root issues behind that mm -hmm. and the deficit in the relationship um, with my mom and, and the, the cry for motherly love and the direct correlation I felt 
between, you know, I would struggle more with the sexual addictions when I was struggling, just hungering and thirsting more for that motherly love because of stress in my life or because of something that triggered me or whatever. But ultimately for me, it was um, a combination of dealing with those deep root wounds and issues in my heart. And there was also a component of deliverance in that too, Mm -hmm. Um, where after 11 years of dealing with those issues and all of that, I I went through a a week-long intensive of inner healing and deliverance where we dealt with a lot of root issues from my past. Um, And I I released forgiveness and just, you know, letting Jesus into all those areas. But as I was going through that week, um, the counselor, uh, this is kind of weird and kind of out there for people and kind of supernatural, but it's just, it's my story. So I'm going to share it. So I'm, I'm sitting there and this counselor looks at me and, um, well, I, I felt something very cold to my left and then something around my neck. And I freaked out because I was like, what is this? Like, I, I'm not somebody, I'm very analytical. I'm not somebody who typically gets manifestations and, you know, all of that stuff. But I just, I felt something very cold and something around my neck. And I shot up a silent prayer and I said, Lord, if this is what I think it is, would you please speak to this prayer counselor and we get rid of this? I never said a word out loud. And immediately after I thought that and prayed it, the prayer counselor said, oh, the Lord is showing me that there's a spirit of compulsion that wraps itself around your neck like a noose and it pulls you off to your demise. We send that away in the name of the Lord. And that thing left. I mean, I felt it go. I felt it go. (laughs) And so afterwards I was talking with the prayer counselor and I was like, okay, what's the deal? Like, Like what, I've never had an experience like that before. And he said, okay, I just want to explain. You're not possessed. Mm-hmm. but you can be oppressed and and you because of my sexual sin over decades i had opened up doors for the enemy to work in that area of my life so it was a combination of forgiving those who had hurt me dealing with the issue of motherly love and allowing god to come in and and fill that place where i needed motherly love mm-hmm. and i had a supernatural encounter with the lord too i was alone in a room and I felt uh, the Lord come and it was, it was almost as if he wrapped his arms around me and he was holding my heart wow. deeper than any human being could ever get. And I thought the ultimate healing for me would happen in the arms of another woman, but it happened in the arms of my heavenly father where he held my heart. I experienced a deep, just emotional release and healing, um, deep intimacy with him alone in a room. Um, so that in combination with deliverance and just working on inner healing, and mind you, this is, this was a long 11 year process and, and it's still going, I mean, God's still changing us right from glory to glory. Um, so I'm, I don't want to give the impression this was an instantaneous, just send a devil out and you'll be free. Um, it's a process. Uh, but I, I do want to recommend a, a resource out there that I was thinking about, um, for those who struggle with sexual addictions, there's a book that came out a couple of years ago called Unwanted. Hmm. by Jay Stringer. And he doesn't address LGBT issues in that book. I wish he did, but he does address the nature of addiction and um, how like the, the nature of our addiction can give us clues as to what the root issues are that are driving us to that addiction and dealing with the root issues of the heart, not just the fruit, but getting to the root. So yeah. that's an excellent resource that might help people. What would you say to someone right now who might be listening, who can relate with so much of what you've just said and uh, perhaps keeping a particular sin or addiction in the dark, but they do want to be free. I, I, 
so oftentimes we as ministers, we find people at, in their last ditch effort to become free and they, they come to us in moments of crises and it almost feels like a last ditch effort and, and they feel like they're at the end of every other possibility. So they're going to give God a chance. Um, and then if that doesn't work, they're just going to give up altogether. Uh, what would you say to that person who is watching right now, listening right now that they've been hiding and uh, they want to be free, but they don't know how, how would you encourage them yeah. today? Man, I know what it's like. I know the struggle and how hard it is to tell that first person. It really is hard. Uh, but I want to encourage you, take what's in the dark. When, when it's in the dark, the enemy can energize it, but you bring it into the light of Christ and it breaks the power of the enemy to keep you in bondage in that area. Doesn't mean you'll be instantaneously set free. Sanctification is a process mm -hmm. in our lives, but the first step in that process is taking what's in the dark bring it in, in the light with a, a trusted leader, not a peer who says, oh, well, I struggle with that too. Oh, well. <laughs> and then you're both stuck in the pit. You know, It needs to be somebody who you know is spiritually mature enough to help you and walking in victory themselves that can help pull you out of that pit. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the principle of scripture is God gives grace to the humble, mm. but he resists the proud. And it's our own pride for me, for 21 years, I didn't tell anybody what was going on because I was so proud. I had a mask on. I fooled a bunch of people, including my own family. Mm. And it really was a, a self-protective measure of my own pride. I didn't want people to think lowly of me because of what I struggled with. And I discovered there was such freedom. It was very difficult. The first time I told somebody, very difficult. And I, I think I shared last time about my campus pastor and all that and how he responded, which was very liberating. But I discovered after that point, after I told the first few people, it was really hard. But after that, it got easier and easier. And I discovered there is so much freedom in just being transparent and just being honest and saying, you know what, these are the areas where I'm struggling. I'm taking what's in the dark. I'm bringing it in the light. And it does break the power of the enemy and of our own flesh to keep us in bondage in those areas. You know, I don't typically do this in my interviews, but I, I feel led of the Holy Spirit to pray. Amen. <laughs> And I really want to take a minute because I, I feel like we need to stop the interview, Come on. pause it, and uh, we're just going to pray right now and kind of, we'll come back to the questions in a second, but somebody listening right now might mm -hmm. be just, we need to pray. So would you please lead us and I'll yeah, Absolutely. God, I pray Thank for you. my brother, for my sister, for, for whoever may be out there listening right now. God, you know, I know what it's like to live in that kind of bondage. And God, I just pray that you would give them the courage from your Holy Spirit to take what's in the dark and bring it into the light, to trust you that you're not going to come down hard on them, condemn them and, and, and obliterate them. You love them. Even in the middle of their struggle, you meet us in the middle of our mess. Jesus, and you pull us out of that pit. And so I pray you'll give them courage to take what's in the dark and bring it in the light. You'd even lay on their heart right now. Who is the person? Is it a pastor? Is it a mentor, a discipler, a parent, somebody I can go to and tell them what's going on in the dark. And Father, I just take authority right now over the lie of the enemy that somehow Hallelujah. keeping it in the dark is somehow going to be better for them. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Thank you. And we just thank you for the freedom that there is in transparency, the, the freedom in honesty. Your word says you give grace to the humble. And so I pray for grace for that person who's listening right now that needs help to, to bring that out into the light, Lord. Let your grace help them in this area. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for praying. Yeah, absolutely. I'm believing God's using this interview to touch someone miraculously. Amen. Thank you. Um, I would like to shift gears and talk about your parents for a minute. Sure. Because, uh, man, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, in the process of, I mean, it must have been heartbreaking, mind-blowing. I mean, here they are and they get all this information and you've, you've, you've kept all these things concealed and hidden and, and, um, what was their response? You know, you talked about the good response of your campus pastor. We didn't get to talk about your parents. How did your family respond when all of this began to come out? Yeah. First, I just want to say my family's awesome. Yeah. And, um, we've been through a lot together and I'm, I'm just grateful. Um, I was terrified to tell them uh, for obvious reasons. And so I was meeting with a counselor privately and um, my counselor, somehow I came to the conclusion. I just, I, I don't want to keep this from my family. I've got to tell them. And so my counselor said, we could have them come down for a session. I lived about three hours away from home at that point. And so we could have them drive down and they could attend a session because I told my counselor, I can't, I can't, I just can't tell them. I don't know how I would even do it. And my counselor said, why don't we invite them for a session and I'll facilitate that conversation. I was like, okay, that's good. Oh man, I was so nervous. And um, of course my parents didn't know why they were driving three hours to meet with a counselor. It would, I mean, tension on all sorts of levels. And so when we broke the news of what was going on what I was struggling with, um, yeah, it was, it was gut wrenching. Um, it was, shocking. Um, I had fooled them. They didn't know. Um, it was, you know, for them, I think there was a lot of heartache. Like we wish we would have known you were struggling because we, we would have wanted to help you and to intervene if we could have. Um, and so to know that I was struggling on my own and that I was suicidal and all of that, and thank God I didn't go through with it, but like, you know, a, a thousand thoughts going through their mind at that moment. Um, and they just expressed, expressed their love and support for me and said, you know what, it just however we can support you, we want to be a support to you in this process. And they've been amazing. Um, we've, we don't know what we're doing. A lot of the pastors and mentors and people that were helping me, I mean, we, we weren't like just going through a 12 step book and figuring out, <laughs> we had to figure it out as we went. Um, but my parents have been extremely supportive. Um, and even still, like we're recognizing there are dynamics in our family that we love one another, but there are things that were passed on from their generation of, you know, ways of not communicating and dysfunction. Every family's dysfunctional, right? So um, we're just realizing how that's affected our communication with each other and our relationships. And they're committed to working those things out. And so we just met recently, actually, with my counselor and did like a little family intensive and kind of talking about family dynamics. And I think my parents are realizing through no fault of their own, there was stuff that got passed on to them that you naturally pass on to your kids because it's just, it's all you've ever known, you know? So um, my parents are awesome and we're working yeah. through it together. Um, still growing. That's amazing. I praise God for that. That yeah. could have gone any number of ways. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it went exactly the way it should have. Praise God. So can you encourage parents and we have full disclosure, you're not a parent. Right. Right. <laughs> full disclosure. Okay. I am a parent. I have two kids. Um, but you can speak to this on a unique level how can parents create an openness in their home? Do you think? Um, so that communication on 
these types of levels can happen before it becomes a crisis. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of open communication and asking a lot of questions and withholding judgment so that the child feels like they're free to share their mind, they're free to share their thoughts, they're free to dialogue with you. And um, treating it more from like a coaching point of view, uh, where you know coaches are taught to ask open-ended questions and let the recipient kind of come to their own conclusions as you're in the conversation. And I think if we approach conversations about sexuality and morality and, and things in that way, rather than coming down and saying, you know, here's the rules, don't do this, and this is what the Bible says, and, and all that, and there's no room for discussion, there's no room for questions, there's no room for, but what about everybody else in our culture that's doing this? Why is it okay? Can we have a conversation about that? And to not be threatened by the questions and the things that you know the child may bring up. I, I just think having openness in this area and dialogue and not, it, it, I think if the child feels pigeonholed and forced into, you have to think this way, and they're not allowed to really explore it and ask questions, that will backfire. Yeah, um, I've, I've talked with so many kids um, and college students and people who have struggled with LGBT issues who grew up in that kind of environment where it was just your pigeonholed and there was no room to explore and to discuss and to really talk about what they were struggling with. Yeah. And I want to be clear when you say the word explore, you mean explore those topics. You don't oh, mean yeah. explore. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> yeah. We need to be really clear about Yeah, that. yeah. No, I wasn't uh, talking about acting out. Or yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. And I and I, I totally understood what you meant, but I want to yeah. be clear. We are encouraging parents to have an exploration around topics yes. and to speak about those things. And I even know there have been a handful of moments where one or the other of my children have come to me in great shame, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone, that's what we call it in our home. They're just, oh, you know, they're weeping and gnashing of teeth and they repent about something, and they confess it. And they're so worried that Sarah and I are gonna come down on them. But as you said, humility is, is the, is, you know, it, it, humility is how you get mercy. Humility mm-hmm. is how you get grace. And when, you're, when my kids have humbled themselves and confessed something, all they've ever received from me is, love and grace and a hug and you're my kid, you know, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. And, um, but I'm, I'm thinking in terms of preemptive culture within the home conversation so that, because you talked a lot about shame at the beginning yeah, and sexual addictions. Um, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people and they talk about a, a cycle of shame. And it seems like the more shame is, it breeds more bad behavior and then more shame than more bad behavior. It's just a cycle. Totally. So do you have a thought or two on how parents could create a culture within their home so that shame just really has a hard time taking root? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, for me, it has helped to understand the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I've done something wrong and shame is I am wrong. Like mm-hmm. who I am is just inherently wrong. Yeah. Wow. And so I think it's really important to communicate to our children that, especially when we discipline them, they may have done something wrong, but who you are, I love who you are. Now, mm-hmm. what you just did, that's not who you really are. That's yeah. a bad action. That's, you know, and separating those two things, the way we discipline can tie into conversations that we have later. Because if, if, if the child feels when they're disciplined, they're shamed, why would they ever want to have a conversation about anything else? If 
if I was shamed for this, I'll be shamed for that. So I think making that distinction is good. And, and, you know, when parents discipline, again, I'm not a parent, but when a child does experience discipline or confesses something or whatever for the parent to draw near in that moment and not, you know, reject them and basically say, you know, don't you come back until you get your act together. Right. It sends the wrong message that I can meet you in the middle of your mess, the same way Jesus met me in the middle of my mess mm-hmm. and embrace you and hug you. And I'm so proud of you. And you're my son, you're my daughter. And I, I love who you are. Um, you know, let's talk about these things. There has to be a, 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 an environment of safety where the child knows they're not going to be shamed no matter what they do. Yeah. Uh, no matter what they think that their, their actions or things they're struggling with, you know, in culture, talking about sexuality, like that does not define who you are, who you are as a child of God. I love you. Um, and those actions are separate from that. So good. What I want to do is shift gears. And as we begin to wind down the interview, I want to talk a little bit of leadership. Okay. Uh, So I'm going to skip down to question four and we might uh, have another interview in the future and we can dive into more of these topics because even as we're speaking now, more questions are coming (laughs) to my mind, but I want to speak. I think this is a very important thing to wrap up. A lot of people who watch and listen to this podcast are ministers and uh, lay leaders who want to know how to approach ministry to the LGBT community. And one of the big hot button topics is marriage. Mm. It's been that way for a number of years. Okay. Um, So I have a two part question. One is how do you personally, just your story. Okay. You're not really telling us what to do, Mm -hmm. but I want you to tell us what you do. Okay. Um, what do you say, number one, what do you say when a member of that community invites you to their wedding as a friend to attend, okay? And then the second part of the question is, what do you say if they ask you to officiate the wedding as a minister? Mm. Okay, so what, what's your response to a friend? Because you've got lots of friends in the community of LGBT, okay? And you're ministering to them. And no doubt you have friendships and no doubt you've been invited. What do you say to, when, to the attendants? Mm-hmm. And then what would you say to someone who asked you to officiate? How would you manage that in such a way that would hopefully keep the relationship built mm-hmm. and they wouldn't feel just rejected and hated, but they would understand where you stand on the issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great questions. And this is where the rubber meets the road, right? So the one thing that helps me when dealing with these, what I call cultural conundrums with LGBT issues that we always joke, you know, we didn't have a Berean class on this, so now we don't know what to do. Um, so it, when, I, when you take it out of the hot button topic of LGBT and say, is there a principle I would follow even if it weren't an LGBT scenario? So if I had any friend invite me to their wedding, and I, I couldn't go, you know, for whatever reason. Um, if, if I had a conflict, uh, some of it depends on my level of relationship. So I have a really good friend that got married last summer and I couldn't go. I was in a boot cast. I couldn't drive. I, you know, I couldn't go. And I wasn't going to just send in the RSVP. Nope, can't come. You know, I called her and I wanted to have as, as much, couldn't have a face-to-face conversation, but I wanted to say, hey, you know, I really, I really want to be at your wedding. I can't be there and all of that. And so you know, here's why. And we had a great conversation on the phone. Um, with some other people, they're acquaintances, but I don't know them that well. And so, you know, I sent, I'm sending the RSVP, but I don't feel like it necessarily demands an explanation. 
I would treat it the same way with LGBT friends, depending on my level of relationship with them. So if, if I barely know them and I've been invited by, you know, somebody who lives in my neighborhood and I've talked to them three times and they invited me to their wedding and I, I don't have much of a relationship there. I don't know that I would want to escalate the situation and like, we need to have a face-to-face -face conversation is why I'm not coming to your wedding. Um, right. You know, I, I wouldn't do that with any other situation. So, right. um, but if it's somebody that I know well, if it's, if it's a, I've, I've not had like a family member, or, you know, somebody in, in that level or degree, I've counseled people that have had, you know, a brother or a sister, or whatever. And it, oh man, you talk about, it's a gut wrenching situation because you don't want to end relationship with this person, but you, you're like, I feel like my conscience before God, I can't go. And I, I just don't know what to do. Um, I do know believers that have attended gay weddings um, and they, that's between you and the Lord as to whether or not you attend. For me personally, it would violate my conscience because I don't believe that that's a, scripture does not describe that as a, a covenant of marriage. A covenant is one man with one woman for life. And so um, I, I wouldn't attend for that reason. So if it's a, a close friend, I would want to have uh, a face-to-face -face conversation about that as much as possible. And if you can't do face-to-face, -face, FaceTime or, you know, phone is okay, but you, you don't want to do it in writing or anything where you can't see facial expressions and hear tone of voice and all of that. And I would do what I call an affirmation sandwich. I would start with love, <laughs> uh, talk about the issue, and then talk about love for the person. So it's personal love for you, the issue, personal love for you. So I would say, you're my friend or, you know, you're my brother or sister or, you know, whatever the relationship is. Uh, I dearly love you. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, thank you for inviting me to your wedding. And I wanted to have an honest conversation with you as to why I'm not able to attend. Um, and to let you know, it's not just a scheduling conflict, like for me. And so then I'd move into the idea. I, I try to not use the words you and anything that could be interpreted as accusatory. Um, but I would talk about how, you know, for me, I, I believe God's design for marriage is between one man and one woman. And so that's the, the moral paradigm that I'm, I'm following. And so uh, it, it would violate my conscience before God to attend a ceremony that is not in line with what his word says. I haven't said anything about the person or nothing. I haven't used any pronouns like you. I'm talking about the idea of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. This is an idea where you and I have a different perception, a different belief on this idea. Now we can agree to disagree agreeably and still remain friends, um, technically. But we also know there's spiritual warfare involved in this and the enemy is going to want to twist and turn things and yeah. divide and all of that. Um, so it's important for us to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And so you, you couch it in love on both sides. I love you. You're my friend. You're my brother. You're my sister. Whatever the relationship is. Um, express. Let them see it in your eyes. Hear it in your voice. All of that. Talk about this would violate my conscience before God. And so for you, you're choosing to honor God, to fear God more than you fear man. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily use that language. I so would not use religious language like that uh, with, you know, a couple secular friends <clears throat> um, in the, uh, that situation. But I would just, I would try to communicate it in such a way that this is something in my conscience before God. This has to do with a, um, my relationship with the Lord. But then I would follow that up again and say, I do love you. And I, I think your partner is a wonderful person. And I'd, I'd like to have you guys over for dinner or 
Um, and hopefully, you know, if you already have a close relationship, you already have had them over for dinner and you're involved in their lives and all of that. Like you, and you can express, I know this is awkward and I, I want you to know, I hope this doesn't change our relationship. I'm still committed to being in relationship with you, even though we may disagree on, you know, the topic of, of marriage um, and God's design for marriage. But I just want you to know that that doesn't affect, affect my love for you as a person, as a brother, as a sister, as a friend, or whatever it is. So I love you. I disagree with the idea. I love you. <laughs> and then I do the affirmation sandwich that way. That's great. And the other side of the question, what do you yeah. say if they invite you to officiate the wedding? Yeah, same thing. And I've had, um, I did have a friend now before gay marriage and everything back in the day, um, had somebody that was living in sexual sin, sleeping with their boyfriend. And, uh, she found out I had gotten credentialed with the assemblies and wanted me to do their marriage. And I, it was a tough conversation to have, but I said, you know, I gotta be honest. Um, I, I don't, I don't believe that's God's design, you know? And, um, I just was able to decline officiating the ceremony uh, based on that. But again, did the affirmation sandwich and I would do the same thing here. I would say, man, I love you. I am honored that you would consider me somebody that you would want to officiate your um, ceremony, you know, that says a lot about, you know, that you would choose that. And uh, I enjoy being in relationship. We love you, love your partner, but because of my relationship with the Lord, because of what God's word says about marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman. Uh, I need to honor that. And, um, so I, I will not be able to officiate, uh, your ceremony, but thank you for asking me. And I, I do love you. I do love your partner. I hope this doesn't change our relationship from this point forward. I want you to know I'm committed to staying in relationship with you, even though we may disagree on the idea of what constitutes a valid marriage in God's eyes. Um, a follow-up question then. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had uh, either a friend or family member or someone uh, that you know uh, ask you to attend their gay wedding, LGBT wedding, however the terminology is, um, or to officiate and you've declined and the relationship was lost? Um, I haven't had those situations. Um, I mean, with the, the situation I talked about before with the, the gal sleeping with her boyfriend before they got married, we stayed in touch after that. It was awkward. Um, and eventually just through the years, you know, over the last 20 years have lost touch. Um, I don't really know that it was because of that issue. And I still did attend her wedding. Um, even though I didn't officiate. Um, but yeah, I haven't had that kind of a situation. I have had situations where um, there are friends I've made uh, in certain things that I do in my free time as far as recreation and things like that. And there are ones who are gay and um, they don't know who I am and what my stance is on any of that. Um, but we've gotten to know each other over time and at, at one point started sharing my own story with them. And I was committed to staying in relationship, but over time that uh, that person in this particular example just started to withdraw. And um, that was their choice. It, it wasn't mine. And I'm still trying to make efforts to draw near and be normal and all of that. But in all honesty, once this kind of topic comes up head to head and people, in a sense, this forces you to, to choose sides. Are you gonna side with the Lord? Or are you going to side with the world? And um, once you your true colors are revealed, is like this is where I stand. There are some people who just you become an enemy because you disagree on this area, and it's not because in your heart you want to be an enemy. 
Yeah. But you know, with Jesus, it, scripture says they hated him without reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the most merciful, loving person on the planet who died for all of our sins and people still hated him and yeah. crucified him. And so we have to be prepared. There are going to be people who, no matter how loving and compassionate and reasonable we come across, and we should try to be reasonable and loving and compassionate, there are going to be people who simply hate you because of what you stand for. And it, it, you can't take it personally. You yeah. have to realize we're not battling flesh and blood. That's right. There is a demonic stronghold that is fueling a lot of this, and people mm-hmm. don't even realize they're being influenced by it. And they don't realize that they're kind of, putting you off and their hatred for you is really they're resisting something in the spirit wow. that is flowing through you. Yeah. And so you can't take it personally, but I think where we're failing as a, we've, we failed as the body of Christ in two ways. One, you've got the Westboro Baptist church, you know, they hate all people who are gay and all of that. And um, you just condemn them. No, we shouldn't make that area era error, but I think we've swung to the opposite end of the pendulum too far in some cases where we we so want to be everybody's friend and we don't want anybody to not like us and right. you know all of that and we're afraid to even speak out about this topic because what if they don't love me and then what if see they have to love me um if you accept what i say that you'll you'll if you love me you'll love my message yeah basically and actually that's not true uh, people are going to hate the message of truth they're gonna they're gonna hate darkness is going to hate the light. Mm -hmm. And so not everybody's going to be accepting of that. And I think we have to realize persecution's coming and persecution happens, happened to Jesus, the best of us. I mean, it's, we want to be as loving as possible, but in the end, it is a spiritual battle and we will be hated by the world. We will. Yeah. You know, and the flip side of the coin is it also opens the door for salvation. It opens the door for rejection, but it also opens the door for someone to hear the gospel and respond when you take that stand. And I know you have testimonies. We could probably speak for hours longer of, of when people have responded to your message, to your stand, and it's actually paved the way for someone to come to know Jesus. And so while some may reject the message and even reject the relationship from that point forward, there are going to be the handful of people who hear the gospel somewhere deep in their heart. They hear, they hear the compassion in your voice. They, they see the look in your eye and they go, maybe I need to hear a little more about this before I go any further. And, and so I know that that's a possibility too, isn't it? Absolutely. And I I think the thing we need to be aware of is one of my mentors told me once, what you win them with, you win them to. And so if I'm going to be all kind of shady and not really let people know, you know, if people ask me a question and I kind of dance around the topic and I'm just afraid to say something that might offend them because, you know, I have to stay in relationship with them because if, if they're not in relationship with me, they can't get saved as if God is limited by only me. Um, but we sometimes make the mistake of fearing man more than we fear God. But if we'll fear God, we'll, we'll walk and we'll speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll fear God and speak his truth, but we still love the other person and we risk rejection. Yeah. There will be some who reject us. The rich young ruler turned and walked away from Jesus and he didn't go chasing after him. Say, wait, 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 I didn't mean to sell everything. Just Could you just sell part of it? You know? Right, right. It, it, he didn't compromise, but... At the same time, when we hold fast to what the truth is, we are holding out the gospel 
and, and the open door of salvation, that there are going to be some who say, you know what, you're not backing down and there's something real there and yeah. they see it and it resonates with their spirit. And what you win them with, you win them too. You share the truth with them in love. They are going to get one to the truth in love and they will become bold believers who are able to communicate the truth in love because that's how they got saved. Yeah. So good. Oh, I can't think of a better way to end the interview than to just have you pray for us once more. And uh, I just really appreciate you giving me and our listeners some more of your time. I know it has just been a joy to get to know you better and to hear about your ministry and what you're doing. And uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you, if someone wants to get in touch with you and if someone wants to um, support your ministry, learn more about it, where can they go to get some resources? I have a website that's just my name, lindaseiler.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-S-E-I-L-E-R.com. And there's resources up there. There's a donation button and all sorts of things that hopefully would be uh, resource-wise helpful to people that are looking for ministry in this yeah. area. And you have a book coming out soon? Yeah, working on the manuscript right now and hoping to have that out, we hope, by summer. Um, I've had some glitches along the way, but uh, yeah, that'll be a book that shares a little bit of my personal story in it and then addresses what does the Bible say, what does science say, uh, some of the things we've talked about today. How do you handle cultural conundrums? How do parents talk to kids? What pronouns do you use with the transgender person? You know, all of that stuff. And, and how does transformation happen in somebody's life? How do you walk somebody through that? So. Wow. Can't wait to get it. Oh, thank you. Will you close us in prayer, please? Absolutely. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this conversation that we were able to have today. And we do pray um, that you would multiply this to bear fruit in people's lives. Lord, I pray if there's anything I said that was not of you, it would just fall on barren ground. And the stuff that was from your spirit, I pray that you would just bless and multiply it. And I pray Lord, as we prayed for the ones who are struggling with sexual addictions and wanting to get free, those who might be struggling with their own sexual attractions or gender identity or, or dealing with the LGBT community, and we want to be compassionate without compromising the truth. Lord, there are just so many things. We don't know what we're doing, and I just pray for grace for us to seek your face all the more and to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves as we are led by your Spirit as to how to demonstrate your love to a lost and dying world around us. Lord, we thank you for the hope that there is in your gospel and in who you are, Lord Jesus. We pray more people would be drawn and attracted to you, to see you as you really are through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, we've been with Dr. Linda Seiler. Check out the website, lindaseiler.com, for all of her resources. Linda, thank you so much for your time. Sure, my pleasure. It's been a great pleasure to have you on and hopefully we'll have you on again one day. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Take care.